So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, appreciate everyone tuning into this Facebook Live and those of you who are listening to it on the Animal Wellness Podcast channel or who may be watching it on YouTube later. But got, we're everywhere. Wayne and Marty, we are ubiquitous. There you go. That's your word. That's your word of the day. Uh, I'm your your host, Joseph Grove, also host of the Animal Wellness Podcast. Uh, welcome to our special year in review discussion with Wayne Paselli, our president, and Marty Irby. He's the guy in the dark shades, uh, looking like he's on the lamb on your screen. Uh, he is our executive director. So this is coming to you from the Animal Wellness Action Facebook. But these gentlemen and I also work with the Center for a Humane Economy. And many of the things we'll talk about, you can read about on animalwellnessaction.org or centerforahumaneeconomy.org. Mouthfuls, but we hope you'll take the time to find them. Subscribe to our newsletters. And because this is the end of the year, uh, a special request, uh, we could use your donations. We're going to be talking about some of the great work we've done. None of this work happens without your financial support and oftentimes, too, without your uh, filling out one of our action forms or picking up the phone after you learn about uh, what we need done, you've been great this year. We really appreciate all of our followers and all of the lovers of animals who are with us on this journey, and we are counting on you to be with us as we go into 2023. A brand new Congress is on the horizon. The balances of power have shifted. It is no hyperbole to say that you will be needed as much or more next year as you have been this year. So thank you for any consideration you can give us on those matters. Um, Marty, as we can see, is, is on the road and his time with us is limited. So I'd like to go to Marty first. Marty is probably um, the best educated, savviest person when it comes to horse issues I know about. And he's been all over this massive 4,100 page omnibus bill uh, that is wending its way through Congress right now. Uh, Marty, let's uh, take a minute to look back at 2022. What went well for horses and your other issues? And uh, what have we learned that we can do better next time? Marty. Yes. No, thank you all out there who are watching today. Thank you, Joseph and Wayne. I'm actually coming to you live from Shelbyville, Tennessee, right here at Fisherman's Park by the waterfall. This is the lion's den when it comes to soaring horses. As many of you know, that's the issue that got me into the animal protection space. And we've been trying to stop now for decades. Uh, the good news is in the year-end spending bill, the omnibus that we're gonna be talking about, there are three very important uh, provisions related to horses. First is a fix for the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act that we got signed into law in December of 2020 that took effect in July of this year. The horse trainers in American Horse Racing who want to keep doping alive in the sport filed a lawsuit along with two attorneys general from West Virginia and Louisiana and a few other groups to try to stop the implementation of the new law that outlawed race day doping in the sport and created a uniform national standard. They won the lawsuit in the District Court of Appeals in November, and the law was deemed unconstitutional because the judges were saying that too much authority was granted to the private nonprofit overseeing the doping in the industry and doing the drug testing. So this fix in the omnibus will correct that. It will allow the federal government, the FTC, to have the proper oversight over that entity. And we're really looking forward to getting that done. That should quash any of these court cases related to the challenge 
of this very important new law, the first horse protection law enacted in half a century. That leads me to the Horse Protection Act of 1970, which has had a tremendously pitiful amount of funding for enforcement over half a century. Up until about 2020, we had no more than $705,000 per year to enforce the Horse Protection Act that was designed to stamp out the practice of soaring, S-O-R-I-N-G, Tennessee walking horses, where they injure the horse's feet to make them lift their legs higher and achieve an artificial gait called the big lick. We have fortunately secured six times the amount that we saw in 2019, 2020, and now have $4.1 million in the fiscal year 23 spending bill to enforce the Horse Protection Act. That's astounding. It's huge. It's going to be great for the horses. I think it's really going to help us a lot. We saw $3 million for 2022, and we've been pushing the USDA to use that funding to crack down against soaring. They did do that at our request after we sent a letter on the 1st of November. They went to the big walking horse, big lick year-end finale in Tunica, Mississippi, and 35% of the horses the USDA inspected were turned away for being out of compliance with the law. So 35% of the horses were probably sore. And that's a huge number. So we've been putting that out there. In addition, we also have a great provision that's been along for more than a decade now in the year in spending bill. And that's to maintain the horse slaughter de facto ban, uh, where we defund the horse slaughter inspections at horse slaughter plants in the U.S. that are no longer operating so that horses cannot be slaughtered on U.S. soil. Now, we're still trying to pass the SAFE Act to wipe out the transportation of horses for that purpose, but ultimately they cannot be slaughtered on U.S. soil for the purposes of slaughter because of that provision. So it's a great bill for the horses. It probably has more gains than any omnibus we've seen in many, many years for the horses. And we're just elated that the Congress is winding up this way and feel pretty confident about getting this signed into law by the end of the week. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, Marty, let me ask you a follow-up question. So when it comes to the HISA ruling, are you saying that the statutory repair, uh, well, let me just ask you directly, will the, will the court, will the judge who deemed it or the panel that deemed it unconstitutional look at this new law? Uh, how will we avoid further litigation and expedite the implementation of HISA based on this proposed new language? Well, I'm no lawyer, but I would think they would have to look at the new law Furthermore, that decision was made in New Orleans in that district court. Uh, there is another district court of appeals that actually has a pending lawsuit that's very similar. They have not made their decision, and I think they're waiting to see what happens with this omnibus and will probably uh, impact that decision more than anything, which will see a ripple effect, hopefully across the country. All right. Uh, Marty, I know you've got to hit the road, but I don't want to cut you short. Is there anything else uh, looking back at 2022 that you want to mention as a highlight? Well, we just want to thank all of the horse heroes out there that have been contacting their members of Congress, their senators, their congressmen, the White House. We're still also working to help stop the wild horse roundups. That is a tremendously difficult battle. It's an uphill battle, but we got the Veterans for Mustangs Act introduced this year. We're hoping to see the Restoring Our American Mustangs Act introduced early next year, and we're gonna keep pressing to stop these roundups and save the wild horses as well, and hope you all have a great holiday season. Marty, thanks. Be careful out there with this winter storm barreling down on us, apparently. Um, safe travels and uh, appreciate your being on the show from the road. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye, Marty. Take care.
All right. So Wayne, uh, Marty gave us a pretty good overview there of everything going on in the horse world, touched a little bit on the omnibus bill, but uh, this is my first legislative season with you. And I'm amazed at the flurry of activity, you know, the big cat public safety act, uh, the shark finning ban. Uh, and then I know also uh, out there is FDA modernization. Uh, what, what's going on here at the end and what do you see as some of the other highlights in this busy, busy year? Well, thank you, Joseph. And, and I was glad that Marty gave a good update on horses because Animal Wellness Action you know, really cares about horses and there are threats from a number of different uh, horse uh, actors, the horse slaughter industry and the kill buyers, the horse sores, the people who injure the Tennessee walking horses, uh, the government that's rounding up wild horses and burrows in an unsustainable and inhumane way. And then this issue of doping of racehorses. I mean, this is just scrambling the results. This is outrageous. And it was so important that Animal Wellness Action was a lead player in passing in the last Congress, basically two years ago, almost exactly, uh, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act was passed to end race day doping of horses. But now, as Marty said, that law has been challenged successfully. But remarkably, we and the Jockey Club which has just done a wonderful job, have repaired, as you said, uh, the defect in the statute that will allow this law to withstand scrutiny from any other uh, court and any other legal challenge. But we do a lot more than just horses, Joseph, and I think the precept for us is that we oppose cruelty to animals. Uh, we want to have legal standards to protect animals. Uh, we believe that this asymmetry that exists between humans and animals in terms of their power really means that we have to have standards to shield them from abuse. I mean, that's the whole premise of our anti-cruelty laws at the state level, the federal level. And we are working hard to build a broader set of statutes to cover the protection of domesticated animals and wild animals. It's very uneven, Joseph, in terms of the congressional performance. I mean, it's a two-year Congress. So we just had a national election in November, and we're now in a lame duck session, which means, which is an animal phrase, kind of an unfortunate animal phrase uh, at some level. But these are the folks who were elected two years ago, November, who are completing their terms. And a, a new set of lawmakers and those lawmakers who were reelected will be sworn in on January 3rd to start a two-year session. So we're literally just hours away from what's called sine die in the 117th Congress. The Congress adjourns, the slate is cleaned. And if, you, if your legislation is 99% there, but it's not 100% there, then it all gets wiped out. So for us, this last month is about closing and trying to get legislation over the finish line and we at Animal Wellness Action initiated 10 new legislative reforms, 10 new big concepts, like stopping the trade in kangaroo parts or ending mink farming, uh, new legislation on, on uh, protecting bears uh, and a number of other species. But then there are also some, some, some issues that have been around, like the Big Cat Public Safety Act and the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act. So on December 6th, I believe it was, the Senate taking the lead of the House passed the Big Cat Public Safety Act to stop the breeding of tigers, African lions, and other big cats 
for use as pets and also as props at roadside zoos where the cubs of these adult tigers and lions are used in commercial cub petting operations where they literally try to draw people in to hold them and pet them for 10 or 15 minutes. The problem isn't so much that, although there is a backstory to that as well. The problem is that they're breeding these tiger cubs and kittens just for this commercial cub petting. Then they're not capable of being handled at four or five months of age. Then someone's got to care for them for 20 years. And it never turns out well for these animals if they end up in private hands. They get relinquished, they get uh, injured, they get loose, they get killed. The only you know, decent outcome, and still that is not sufficient, is they go to a reputable sanctuary. But these are wild animals who roam miles a day. And even in the best sanctuary, it's not a great life for them. Uh, they're just shadows of themselves in those sorts of environments. But Joseph, this bill has been in the works for 11 years, six Congresses. Finally, this no-brainer of an idea gets over the finish line. I'll tell you, we used all of the tools that we have at Animal Wellness Action to get this over the finish line. There were a number of other groups involved, animal welfare groups and certainly law enforcement. But I must say that we, working with Carol Baskin and Howard Baskin of Big Cat Rescue, played a hugely decisive role. We concentrated on Republicans uh, in the House and Senate. The Democrats were all lined up. God bless them for supporting this uh, over the years. As we have socialized this bill, the Democrats lined up. The fight was with the Republicans and trying to win them over on the issue. And we did so, including breaking three Senate holds. Individual senators put a hold on the bill. They had to release that hold in order to get this bill passed. We worked with those three senators to get this done. So a lot of people wonder, oh, how does this get, how does the sausage get made, they say, in Congress? It got done because we really worked hard to convince lawmakers who were on the fence, who had questions about the bill, and were just uncertain. But if a lawmaker is uncertain, they're often going to oppose. We had to close the case, and we did that on, on big cats. This will end the commercial cup hitting industry in the United States. And we hope with proper enforcement, within five to 10 years, it will end private ownership of big cats as pets. These animals don't get held on to very long, Joseph. People get them and after one or two years at most, then they relinquish them. So if we allow that time span to elapse and these people get rid of them and then we choke off the supply uh, by having a national breeding ban for the pet trade, we could see this whole industry, the pet side of it, as well as the commercial menageries that have the cub petting operations, end very quickly. So it's very exciting. That's one of the bills. Yeah, and, and, and I'll put just a pause there because I want to share an observation that before I got into animal advocacy with this team as deeply as I have, of course, um, I really have understood how minute a lot of the work is, it's, it is so much as you describe uh, in our case, right? Just being on the phone in the offices, it's far more than just putting up some ads and, and some posts and, and getting people excited. You, you and Marty really go in and get your, your, your clothes dirty working on these issues. Well, Joseph, to pass a federal law, is thousands of maneuvers. It is thousands of maneuvers. 
And I'll tell you what was really interesting. A lot of people have asked, you know, what's Carol Baskin like? And, you know, was she really helpful in this? Tiger King, I thought, was a salacious, in some ways outrageous exaggeration of a conflict between Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic Maldonado Passage. I guess that's his full name. And, you know, Carol was just like me and like you fighting to stop cruelty. It wasn't a personal thing. It was Joe Exotic had 100 or 200 tigers and they were not in safe environments. And he was trading them and turned out killing them. So it was just not, it was just not proper. The producers, directors, you know, turned this into a caricature of all the of all the people. But because of timing and the pandemic, it got the attention of the American public and it elevated the awareness of this issue, even if it misrepresented the situation at some level, which I think it did. Carol, you know, was got a lot of grief from people because of the representation, you know, in in the in the documentary series. Over time, I saw that the public really began to understand what she was doing. She became increasingly popular. Uh, people understood that she was selflessly acting to help these animals. And when Marty and I went to Capitol Hill with her, we did 150 meetings with her with Republican US representatives and US senators. We went after the lawmakers in terms of trying to have a conversation with them and make our case who were at risk of opposing us or blocking it. The other folks were on board. So we went after the folks and this was the crucial element of success in this legislative campaign was that effort. So Carol played a great role. We were up there, there were thousands of maneuvers that were made. Our constituents were so important because when we go into an office and they had heard that there were dozens of calls, hundreds of letters, and there wasn't a lot on the other side because this industry has shrunk just through various pressure points, great work by some other organizations like PETA that have investigated some of these places. Law enforcement, the Department of Justice made some very important cases, not just against Joe Exotic, uh, but also against Jeff Lowe, uh, Tim Stark uh, in Indiana, another commercial cup petting operation. And now we see that Doc Antle in South Carolina has trouble with the law, the feds and state uh, operators in Virginia in that case. He's in South Carolina, but has some charges uh, from Virginia authorities. So we wanted to finish this off. And I, I must say for these horrible, inhumane industries, if we can close something out, which is what we're doing here, that is a very good thing. It's like you know, ending cockfighting, legal cockfighting in all the United States, which is what we did by getting a farm bill amendment in 2018. This is a big moment. And we've got another issue that we're working on with our friends at Great 2K USA. Next Congress, we wanna end all Greyhound racing in the United States. The number of tracks has gone down from 60 to now just a handful. We can close this out. Uh, we yeah. will talk more about that in our preview, uh, what we're going to be doing to help Greyhounds. When it comes to elimination of something, the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act uh, certainly mm -hmm. seems to be thematically tied to that. Talk about um, what we gained by having that bill passed. Joseph, it was a great start of the month to pass the Big Cat Public Safety Act, clearing the House in July, the Senate 
And then the president just signed this bill yesterday. So this is all so fresh. He also signed a bill that passed a week and a half after big cats in the Senate. This is the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act and also the House. This was a bill that has been kicking around for about seven years. And Senator Cory Booker has led this effort in the Senate with Shelley Moore Capito, a Republican of West Virginia. In the House, it was Gregorio Zablon from the Northern Marianas Islands, one of the US territories in the Western Pacific. And Mike McCall, a great advocate of animals, a Republican from Texas. They've been fighting, their staff have just done a wonderful job. And we supported this and put it on our scorecard as a as a co-sponsorship opportunity to measure the performance of lawmakers. And they did a great job in getting it attached as an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, a huge bill. So we're dealing with a huge bill now, which is the end of year spending bill. It's 4,100 pages. It's got all the spending levels for all the different uh, federal agencies. And it also has a bunch of writers on it. This bill was passed, the National Defense Bill, just a couple of weeks ago, that's 4,400 pages. It authorizes all of our defense programs and lots of stuff. Shark fins found a place there. It's a huge win for our movement. Killing of wildlife for a single part of their body is the height of wastefulness. These animals are caught from their ocean homes. They're dragged on board a ship and people cleave off their fins. They hack them up. Sometimes they throw the still living mutilated animal back into the water without fins. They're unable to, to swim. They float to the bottom. They would get attacked by other predators in the oceans. It's a miserable circumstance, all for a tasteless part of their body used in soup. So you're killing these animals for an appetizer uh, that nobody has any need for from a nutritional perspective. It is a bland soup. It is just a status symbol at weddings and other ceremonies. We don't need it. Obviously, it's biggest in China uh, because shark fin soup has been a longstanding culinary uh, part of the experience for elites. But there's a Chinese diaspora all over the world. We've got um, uh, fantastic Chinese communities here in the United States. Shark fin soup is on the menu in a lot of uh, restaurants, especially in Chinatowns in the US. All that ends now in terms of legal conduct. So we're very excited. You know, and we've done polls and I've seen other polls. Chinese Americans don't want to see the sharks killed for this purpose. It's a minority, just like a minority of people, you know, who were involved in cockfighting or people, minority people involved in dogfighting or some other abuse. This is not that there is great sympathy among one ethnic group for this practice. It just happens to be something that a small number of people in a very large country had, had participated in as a culinary experience, spread it all over the world. And it's important. The United States is the biggest economy in the world. We also can show leadership on wildlife issues, which is exactly what we're doing. And China paid a lot of attention when we had worked in 2018 to ban the uh, sale of dogs and cats for human consumption. As, as people know, dogs are killed for human consumption in China and other parts of the world. And again, that can happen in the U.S. because the, the same people who are involved in this move all over the world. I mean, that's the, that's the mobility that's evident in our society. 
So it's good as a policy for the United States to stop whatever shark fin uh, sales are occurring here, but it's also a point of U.S. leadership that will then, you know, be seen throughout the the world, and it's a, it's an important thing for us to have done. Yeah, and when you talk about leadership in the world, another one of our huge initiatives has that potential as well, and that is the removal of the requirement that animals be used in the testing of new pharmaceuticals. We've been referring to that, and it's known legislatively as FDA modernization. Where are we with that, Wayne, and what is the potential when this passes to show leadership to the rest of the world to make a difference globally for these animals? Well, Joseph, I've, I've got the, the ticker tape and the confetti ready to go. Uh, the FDA Modernization Act, which you rightly describe as a bill to unwind an 84-year-old provision in the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act that requires animal testing, extensive animal testing, multi-species animal testing, expensive animal testing for years, requires that for every new drug. So a bone health drug, an anti-pain medication, a cancer drug, a heart drug, a cognitive health drug, you name it. I mean, a lot of our medical establishment is about developing drugs. You know, you watch the news, you watch anything on TV, you see drugs, drugs, drugs. This is a huge part of our medical approach to problems. So I believe that about 75% of animal testing is tied to new drug development. It's primates, it's beagles and other dogs, it's lots of other species, and it's millions of them a year. This bill will unwind this 84-year-old provision that says you must do animal testing. It will then unleash innovation, alternative methods that are already widely recognized by so many scientists as superior to the animal tests, which are the data show simply do not forecast the human reaction to these drugs. The failure rate in these drugs is over 90%. So the, just to put a fine point on that, the drug goes through these preclinical trials, these, these tests on animals for years. It passes muster in the animal test and then goes to human clinical trials. It fails more than 90% of the time after it passed muster with the animal test, it goes to the clinical trials. Then, so then the drug developer, the company that put all this money into R&D, it might be 800 million, it might be 1.2 billion, all that gets wasted, they've got to go back to zero. They've got to start anew. The whole paradigm is broken. It's broken morally and it's broken scientifically. So in this Congress, Animal Wellness Action with our partner, the Center for Humane Economy, our sister organization, launched the campaign to get this legislation advanced. We have had great success. We built bipartisan support in both chambers, in the Senate, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Cory Booker, in the uh, from New Jersey uh, on the Democrat side, along with a bunch of other Republicans and Democrats. Same thing in the House. We passed it in the House. We passed it in the Senate. Rand Paul gave a great speech on the floor uh, in late September, and the Senate approved it unanimously. But those bills were different. You to pass a bill, you've got to get the same provision done in both chambers on the same vehicle. So now it's in the omnibus spending bill that the Senate should take up tomorrow, December 22nd, 
And then on the 23rd, the House is expected to take it up and the president to sign it on Friday, the 23rd, because this omnibus spending package is needed because the government funding expires at midnight on Friday night. So in order to keep the government running, they have to they have to have new appropriations for either the next week or month or three months, or typically the way it works is through September 30th of the next year. That's what the omnibus proposal does. And our provision is a rider. I'll also note that we were able to secure $5 million in funding through the agriculture FDA spending bill to invest in the development of new alternatives. So not only do we have the most consequential animal testing policy to reduce animal testing by the millions um, in the years ahead, we also have some starter money to, to find even more alternatives. Many exist already, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, organs on a chip, uh, other, you know, other, other really well-grounded uh, alternative methods. But this will be uh, money for even more research into this space. And the biotech community is hungering for this new policy. Pharma is even excited about this policy. Patient advocacy groups are excited about it. We have built a really diverse coalition. That's why on one of the issues that I have thought was one of the most divisive since I started in the animal movement more than 30 years ago, and that is animal testing and animal research, we've achieved consensus. And so many of these institutions, pharmaceutical companies like AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Merck, academic institutions, whether University of Michigan or University of California or Harvard University that do a lot of research and testing, uh, as well as our government agencies. So the National Institutes of Health, uh, the Veterans Department, any of them that are doing drug development work and they're all doing it. They all have to do the extensive animal testing. That's driving animal testing in every major medical institution that exists, public and private. This is gonna turn it around. And Joseph, what you started with, I had no idea that when we started this campaign, we would see the entire global regulatory community that is involved in drug development and, and, and oversight express enthusiasm for this idea. There was a story in one of the, the, the major papers in India that they want to replicate this policy in India. We've heard similar things in Europe and in, in South America. This FDA Modernization Act, to me, is one of the most important things that I've ever worked on in my career. And I've worked on a lot of important things. This one is highly consequential. So that's why we're just hoping that we can get this done uh, this week and then go to the next stage, which is seeing that it's uh, acted upon in a very meaningful way so that animals are uh, protected and we have better science that is grounded on 21st century testing methods. Wayne, I know you have a call coming up, but uh, before we let you go, uh, anything else uh, cross your mind uh, in terms of 2022 accomplishments, progress, lessons learned? Well, I mentioned that we had 10 new bills and then we had some legacy bills that I've been working on for, for many years. Uh, I think overall, if, if this omnibus passes, it'll be a good, strong Congress for animals. I mean, we're taking two items that have been around for seven and 11 years and, and settling them. The FDA bill is a new bill, getting that done within one Congress 
you know, in a two-year period is remarkable. Uh, we're growing funding for these animal programs. There were some setbacks along the way in this omnibus. The, the uh, uh, Congress very late and late fashion included a, a rider from the Maine senators to undo a Department of Commerce uh, rulemaking to protect right whales from, from uh, lobster fishing practices where ropes are used to, to uh, connect uh, to the lobster traps, which go all the way to the, to the base of the uh, ocean floor, and the right whales get tangled in them. And I thought this was outrageous that the main political leaders, who are generally very good on animal welfare, uh, supported unwinding this well-researched and well-documented problem on right whales. So I think there's tremendous amount of positive, but animals need more attention. You know, they need, they need more respect from lawmakers. Uh, enforcement programs need more money. We shouldn't have to fight this hard to get the Big Cat Public Safety Act done or to ban mink farming. You know, we passed a, a bill to ban mink farming in the House, but we were blocked in the Senate. Mink farming is awful. These are wild animals kept on factory farms for fur, which is sold mainly to China. There's no domestic market for fur in the United States. But the kicker is this species, the American mink, is the most vulnerable to contracting COVID-19 and then having the virus mutate in them and potentially spilling it back to people. The only documented cases, documented if we know how it traveled from an animal to a human, came from mink. Five cases, one in the United States and four in other countries. It's from mink farms because they're stressed and they're overcrowded. So that's a piece of unfinished business that we need to get to. I'm disappointed in that. You know, I just would recommend that folks go to animalwellnessaction.org to our website, see all the amazing work that we do with our, you know, kind of like a SWAT team. We're small in number, but we are really powerful. And uh, we really need that group of Americans and Europeans and South Americans and Africans and others behind us as we fight in this country and all over the world for animals. One thing that we do, Joseph, is we're, you know, we're trying to stop systemic cruelty to animals. Rescuing animals is important, and I'm all for it. I've done a lot of it through my lifetime. That's never going to solve the problem. We need to get front end solutions. We need to get to the root of the problem. We need to prevent cruelty. We need to have laws to stop the animal from getting into a terrible circumstance in the first place. That's why the FDA Modernization Act is so revolutionary. Animal testing is one of the biggest threats to animals that exist. And what was astonishing, I wrote a blog this week with my colleague, Tamara Drake, those primates that are fed into the labs, the Department of Justice just charged a bunch of people for capturing endangered primates from Cambodia and shuttling them, you know, through this transport system into the United States, and they're sold into labs. I mean, this is outrageous. So there's a lot, a lot more there, but I, I've taken a lot of uh, time of our viewers today. But I'm, I'm passionate about these issues. I know, you know, where we've been on these issues and I'm happy that we've gotten some over the finish line, but there's more work to be done. 
Right. Very good. And you, you did mention our website, animalwellnessaction.org. That organization focuses heavily on the legislative side. The Center for a Humane Economy focuses a lot on the business side. You can go to the Center for Humane Economy.org website. Um, and on that site, there are ways for you to donate in honor, in memory. Um, it is not too late at all uh, to make a donation to help animals. Uh, enter the name of someone uh, in whose name you would like that donation to be made. Uh, they can be notified of that. It's a great last minute stocking stuffer, Wayne, by golly, is, 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 is a nice donation to, to the center. So, And then, of course, just as important, you mentioned the people who call, who fill out our emails and forward them on to their legislators. It takes both. So thank you, everyone, as we ramp up this um, Facebook Live for your action, for your donations. We're a small team, we're agile, we're, we're very much that guerrilla unit that, that gets in there and, and does the work at, at, at a street level. So all that said, I'll stop my own meandering. Thank you, Wayne, sir, appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, and this will wrap us up for today. Thanks. <laughs>